This is the Let's Get Real Estate Show with your host, Danielle Chason. Full-time investor, strategic consultant, motivational coach, sought-after speaker, and host of your number one real estate investing show, Let's Get Real Estate, where real people are doing real estate. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and I am excited to be on the Let's Get Real Estate podcast today. I chatted with Danielle about what you should keep in mind as an investor as you grow your portfolio from a money standpoint. We talked in particular about what we call the financing roadmap and the, also the key differences between how lenders look at residential versus multi-residential properties. So tune in and uh, enjoy. Hey, everybody, it's Danielle Chason here with the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. This is where I bring to you real people doing real estate. And today on the show, I am happy to introduce to you guys my friend, Dahlia Barsoom. And she is a mortgage broker out on the east side of Toronto. And I'm just so happy to have her here. Welcome, Dahlia, to the show. Woo, woo. Thank you, Danielle. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here because you are like a ton of knowledge when it comes to financing uh, for investment properties and helping your clients. And you always, always, always deliver. I just see what you do and the great work that you do for everyone else and serving your clients is just phenomenal. So thank you again for coming on the show. For those of you who don't know Dahlia Barsoom, she's a mortgage broker. She has a firm, like I said, out in the east side. Streetwise Mortgages is her firm. And she's got a team of people that work exclusively with investors. So real estate investors uh, all across Ontario. And actually, I think you're expanding too, aren't you? We expanded out of province. We're now in Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, oh New God. Brunswick, and BC. Wow. Okay. I thought you were going to one or two provinces. You pretty much are almost Canada-wide now. That's insane. Um, yeah, yeah. So she can service you. If you're listening to this podcast and you're on the West coast, she can take care of you too. Um, she's just built a massive team. And like I said, works exclusively with real estate investors and she's also an investor herself. So she's got a portfolio of just under 40 doors, um, working on an acquisition right now on a building. Most of her portfolio up until now has been smaller multis. Um, and now she's going and, and she's got a building under contract with some partners and also expanding your horizons there too. I don't know how you do it all. Like you do so much. She's a speaker. She's an author. She's always giving to people like just amazing and a mother on top of it all of an 11 and 15 year old. So anyhow, Dahlia, I know your time is very stretched. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so again. Excited to be here, Danielle. Yeah. So one of the things that you have that you do um, at Streetwise is that you have the financing roadmap that you share with your clients. And I think now is no more better of a time that your clients need it because in the past getting financing was relatively easy. If one lender would say no, you know, just go to another two or three lenders and you'd find one. But now all the lenders are tightening up. And so there's going to require some planning now from people, from real estate investors who want to invest to line up their finances appropriately. And now you're going back to this roadmap and helping people kind of map it out and just be more intentional and strategic when it comes to investing so that they can secure the financing. So before we get into that, though, Dahlia, I really want you to share with the audience a little bit about how you got into real estate and financing and kind of what led you to where you are today. So, Danielle, I um, 
I spent most of my career with the banks. Uh, that was about 15 years working with some of Canada's top five banks. And I always moved around within these banks. Um, you know, I've done um, personal commercial banking, I've done strategy, I've done marketing, I've done technology. And then my last five years with the banks were in wealth management. And in wealth management, I was really uh, behind the scenes supporting financial planners and got to learn a lot about uh, wealth and uh, investment products and all of that cool jazz. And um, I grew well in the corporate world and then got to a point where, honestly, I lost the passion for climbing the corporate ladder and lost the passion for you know, just commuting back and forth. And and at that point I had my, um, I, I, I already had a four-year-old at home and I was pregnant in my second child uh, and I wanted more control over my time and just felt that there is a lot more that I can do outside of going to my job. So <clears throat> the way I got into real estate is one, as an investor back in 2008, 2009, working uh, I had everything invested in the stock market. When the market melted, um, the message that I got at the time from my advisor was, you know, stay in it for the long run, which is typical, right? Stay in the long run. Stay in the long run. And I get it. I'm a long-term investor and I get it. But I just felt that I had no control whatsoever. No control. Like the money literally evaporated. We had everything in that portfolio. So that got me thinking about real estate. And that's where I started to look for the book and the investment clubs and podcasts. And I literally ate the books. I was pregnant, running around from on tour buses and doing everything I can to learn about investing. And I bought my first property back in 2007 in Barrie. Um, and I still have it. And it's a, it's a small townhouse. And then that got me interested in real estate, um, kept learning, kept growing, kept buying. And then I got to a point where I said, you know what, I am now going to leave the corporate job and I am going to um, get into something that still builds on what I enjoy, which is money, finance. Uh, and I got intrigued by mortgages. I got intrigued by becoming a realtor. And given that I had a family, young family, and I was about to give birth, I thought, you know what? I don't want to run around with open houses. I'm just going to go into something that allows me to be part of the real estate deal. And uh, I said, I'm going to get into mortgages. So I got into mortgages and I fell in love. And I focused on investment properties from day one because I was an investor myself. And I also saw that there was an opportunity to solve a problem for investors. The opportunity was that, they were going about financing properties in a transactional way. So here is my deal, close my deal. Here is my deal, close my deal. But what was lacking is strategic planning because I came from a wealth management background with lots of planning background. And I'm a strong believer in planning because planning um, helps you structure things better, helps you manage risk, helps you save money. So I started to implement the philosophies that I've learned in wealth management through financial planning into the mortgage world to help investors. And that's how I've developed this methodology over time called the financing roadmap, which is rooted in planning and it helps investors plan financing, plan money, multiple steps at a time, and then go implement what's one step at a time. And that helps them get better cost of money, 
get more approvals, stretch their portfolios uh, better, and manage the risk? Long answer to your question. Yeah, no, I think that's all fantastic. I did not know that you actually came from the bank system. And so what that, that explains a lot. Like you really have an inside understanding of what the banks want and are needing in order to underwrite a property and qualify people, especially when you're on the wealth side, you know, they're because you had a look as to what the banks weight a lot of good on. So when, you know, the banks are analyzing you as a person and your net worth and certain things they look at rental income and they're kind of like, yeah, that's nice to have, but meh, it's not great. Um, sometimes a strong T4 from a professional white collar worker weighs more than, you know, a self-employed person with a net worth, which to me seems backwards, <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, you have that knowledge. So, you know, exactly when you have a client standing in front of you, you're like, okay, well, these are the holes that the bank is going to poke into your story. So let's work on these points. So I love that. That makes a lot of sense now. Now I know why you're such a great mortgage broker. Okay. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about this, um, financing roadmap because ultimately a lot of people, let's talk about like the first time let's go through the journey of a real estate investor. So you have the first time investment buyer. And so now they're going to look at a single family, maybe a duplex, something small, affordable that they can get into and you help them get financing. So what is it they have to do? What are the challenges that they have in qualifying or obtaining good financing? So typically a first time investor has, um, limited funds, or they are a little bit paranoid about making their first move. I find, you know, there is a lot of analysis analysis going in. So the key to, to, to planning financing for first-time investors to understand, okay, you're getting into your first investment property. Are you going to move and rent what you currently have? Or are you going to stay where you are and rent this? And I'm pretty sure you're going to like it. You're not going to be your first deal. There's going to be more deals. So as much as you want to put, you know, money into the deal and, 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 Risk is a big topic for a first-time investor. Let's plan to get you in it, make sure you're comfortable, but then also keep in mind where the money for the next deal is going to come from. So we have to think two steps ahead when it comes to that first-time investor. Again, planning. And the other thing is too, like what I'm hearing you say is there's that emotional factor that you have to overcome with the newer investor, right? Yes, Yes. The newer investor is always, I find, uh, a, they're getting a lot of information, right? They're hearing about all of the strategies, all of the markets, and they're hearing about how great real estate is. And they are in the process of figuring out, okay, what, what is it that makes sense to me? Can I use money from a gift? Can I use my secured line of credit? Can I use my unsecured line of credit? Can I buy it with 5% down? Can I get it? Like, there are a lot of questions, going on at that stage. But once they get the guidance and the understanding of how it works, that gives them the confidence to move forward. And then once they see what it's all about, I'm pretty sure they like it. They come back and say, okay, I now know what this is all about. I want to move to the next one. Right. And so it's, it's just overwhelming. And so what would you tell a first time home investment buyer uh, when they're when they're working at buying that first investment so that they because the hardest thing is to get them to pull the trigger. And so what would you tell them to help them get over that roadblock? Sarah, so there are two thoughts here. One is on the money front and one on the investment front. So first of all, 
it is key in my view to find a mentor, somebody who has done it, who is not just, doesn't only own one property, but is, you know, ahead of you, right? Go get their guidance because they're going to save you time. They're going to save you the time to figure it out on your own and they will help you avoid the mistakes. So find a mentor who is an investor and who can connect you to the right people to be on your team and also guide you through the journey. That will save so much time. Don't just go and try to figure it out all on your own. On the money side, the first-time investors tend to go back to their bank. Right? They bought their first home, typically through a bank, financing, and they tend to go back to their bank to talk about what they want to do next. I worked for the banks. I, as a broker, continue to give business to the banks because they do have great products. However, the banks do not understand um, investors to the extent an investor understands an investor or a mortgage broker that deals with investor understands an investor. So here, you qualify for five years mortgage, it's this amount. That is vanilla. That is not sufficient for an investor because as a first-time investor, maybe a five years product is not the right product for you. Maybe you want to buy this property and later on go take out equity from it to buy your next one. So the bank is just thinking, okay, what is the rate? What is the amount? And that's it. So you shouldn't go to the bank to talk about real estate investing. Go to the broker who can support and help you think beyond just the next deal. Because you have a plan beyond just buying that first one. And you may not see it right now, but I guarantee you, 99% of the time, people buy properties, they like what they're seeing, they want to continue because they start to see the power of it. And the other thing too that first time buyers do is that they tend to want to get a loan just at the bank that they deal with, right? And so I had to learn this the hard way too. Like I have no loyalties to the banks now. I look at who's going to serve me best as opposed to, oh, I've been with them for so long, I should just get a mortgage with them. Can you talk about how different banks have different criteria? I know some banks are like only one investment property. So start with that one and get use up that bank. And other banks are like up to three and some are five, right? Yes. So although they're all called banks and they all market pretty much similar rates, they actually look at investment properties differently behind the scene. What do they look at? They look at your income. They look at your credit. They look at the number of properties you have. They look at where the money's coming from. They look at the property you're buying. They look at um, your net worth. So, and see how many variables I've touched on? Every bank looks at these things differently. Every bank has their playbook in terms of what rules they should follow, what rules they can give exceptions on, what do they like, don't like. So as a client, we're always looking at the rate and the tip of the iceberg. That's what the banks market. But beneath the surface is this big body of the iceberg, which is how they look at the deal, which, imp which is impossible to for, for a consumer or someone, you know, looking from the outside to know how they think. And this is where talking to the one bank is very, very limiting because they're only looking at things from their perspective. And if one bank says no, it doesn't mean that another bank is going to say no. And if one bank says this is not possible, it doesn't mean that they it's 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 it, it could be possible with somebody else. But you don't want to go and knock on everyone's door to figure it out. You want to go to one place who knows how this universe of bankers think to bring the best to you as an investor. Yeah. And 
what makes it even more challenging, even for brokers who deal like yourself, who deal with these banks on a regular basis, is they're constantly changing what they're weighing more on, right? They're always changing how they underwrite. And that keeps you guys on your toes. Even you guys are always guessing. Yeah, we constantly get updates. Oh, you know, now we're comfortable with five properties. Oh, now you can use a line of credit. Tomorrow, we need to see this net worth. Every lender is constantly changing because at the end of the day, it's about risk management for the banks, right? There are times in the market where the banks want to attract business. And there are times in the market where the banks are a little bit cautious, right? So they, they change to from offense to defense or defense to offense. And that's, people always ask me, why do you work with a mortgage, with a mortgage broker? Like I have, I've actually had the bank call me direct because I have so many mortgages with this bank and they're like, we'll just work with you direct. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Like number one, I'm loyal to my brokers. And number two, I know that they're constantly changing things up. And I want to know that my broker is shopping around to make sure that it is the best product on the market for me and my position. Right. So that's the value of a mortgage broker. Yeah. A lot of people are like, why use a mortgage? Why are you going to pay that extra fee to the broker? Well, because I'm paying for their expertise. It's almost like an insurance policy. And if you can get me a half a point cheaper, Dahlia, uh, on a mortgage over the term of a mortgage, I'm going to get that money back. And then some just based on you being able to, to secure me a better mortgage. hundred percent. So let's talk about, you know, what after, you know, we get over the emotional barrier, we get over that fear, finally pull the trigger, got a couple of properties and we're chugging along on a real estate journey. Now, you know, we're at five or six properties and we're hitting that wall again and, and can't get financing. What other options do we have? Okay. So this is why planning shouldn't happen when the investor hits the wall. The planning should happen early as early as possible ideally you're starting to invest okay the first one is going to be easy to finance the second one is going to be easy to finance the third one is likely to be easy to finance but after that it starts to get a little tricky especially if you're going to exceed the five properties so that's where uh, Danielle's strategic planning comes in that's where we need to talk about um, the elements of the financing roadmap which is there are eight elements here. Where are you currently? Where are you headed with your portfolio? Where is the money going to come from to grow? Okay. Because as you grow as an investor, you've got different a toolbox of money available to you. And you got to think ahead of time or get the guidance ahead of time as to which one makes sense to use first to keep the numbers working for the lenders so that you your deals continue to get approved and these tools include equity unsecured line of credit money private money uh, maybe vendor take backs as an option uh, option gifted down payment uh, you've got variety so we got to plan the sources of capital for the next deal and the second deal and the third deal at least and then we have to talk about okay how are we going to make sure um, as you acquire the property, depending on your strategy, are you going to renovate it? Are you going to rent it to students? Are you going to uh, do a rent to own? What is your strategy? How are we going to make sure that given what you're doing and where the money's coming from and where you are on your journey, that the deals continue to fit the box for the lenders that will give you the best type of money? Because if we don't plan it, then all we're doing is we're taking the deal and 
hope like plugging it here, plugging it there, applying randomly. And we have to strategically use the seats with the lender so we can get you the maximum amount of loans at the cheapest cost of money. So that's part of the process. And then who's going on the deals? Who's going on title is going to play a role into the approval. Danielle, if you and I are doing a deal together and you and I are both going on every single deal, when it's time for you to go do your own deals, you're, if, the, if, if, if you're on every single deal and, I'm out, and I am on every single deal of yours, when we individually want to go and do our own deals, guess what's going to happen? We're going to have a big financing issue with our lenders. Why? Because now they're looking at what you and I own together and they're taking half of the rents for me, half of the rents for you. But I'm responsible for 100% of the mortgage and you're responsible for 100% of the mortgage. So what does that do? It turns the debt and income upside down. So that's what we want to plan for here. How are we structuring the deals? Who is going on title? And what are their individual plans? And are we making sure that we're structuring the deal today correctly to get that approval in? But for the future, we're not creating a problem, right? And then, of course, we got to talk about what to watch for, right? As you move forward with your portfolio. So this approach to planning money does a couple of things for investors. One, reduces the risk of things going wrong and surprises. Two, makes sure that they move faster with their portfolio because now they know, okay, my first property is this, second is this, third is this. I got a map of what my money and structure is going to look like. Now they're bam, bam, bam. That's number two. And then number three, it does help you stretch the portfolio because if we're going randomly about just approving the Karen deal without thinking ahead, you may use the seats with the lenders. Uh, you may you may actually, um, you're not really stretching your borrowing power with the lender. So you, you would get a larger number of deals financed with the best cost of money is the best way I can word it. Okay. Because if you don't, and I'm going to give you a very simple example. A client came to us. It was their third property. They went to TD Bank and nothing against TD, but they went to TD Bank and TD said, sorry, you now have to put 25% down. They've hit the wall with TD. But if we had planned things out, which we then did, actually, we said, you know what, let's take a look and let's help you plan. We're able to get them their next five deals at 20% down, 30-year M. So they didn't really have to put 25% down. And that's the power of planning. Yeah, I love that. And what I love too about the planning, you're planning your financial roadmap, but at, at the same time, you're actually, because when you're doing that, you're thinking about your end goal. And so you're actually also planning your investing roadmap because you know what you're going to be investing into moving forward. So one of the things that I see a lot of is people get into it and they squirrel. They start with a single family home and maybe a second one. They're like, oh wait, but I want to flip now. Oh wait, but now I want to, I want to duplex. Oh wait, I want a small multi now. So, oh wait, but I want to do student rental. And so they're kind of squirreling all over the place, which does actually create fear, I think, in the bank because it's not consistent. And so when you're planning your financial roadmap and you're being intentional, you're actually planning also your buying roadmap so that as an investor, it keeps you on track and keeps you focused. Would you say that to be true when you've done this with your clients? hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things I think that confuses new real estate investors. They just get squirreling all over the place and then they lose time. 
uh, and traction because of it. So, and I love what you said too, about, um, you know, having two people, like a lot of husband and wives do this. They buy an investment property together. They put each other, both of them on title. Why would you do that when one can take one and the other can take another, and then you can just grow from there. Right. Exactly. You can more properties that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So these are the unintentional mistakes, money mistakes that investors do. And that's what planning does. It addresses those early on so that you're able to stretch the portfolio. You're able to run faster and avoid the mistakes. Yeah. And every client basically gets a custom roadmap because everyone's situation is different. Yeah. And I think, like I said, uh, with the financing world tightening up a little bit, um, it's really important more today than it's been in the past, even in the last decade, because the interest rates are a lot higher. The banks are a lot more scrutinizing on the, on the, uh, borrowers and the properties. There's a lot of lenders that I know that are now not even lending in some of the areas that I'm investing in. So even the markets they're tightening up on. So being intentional and having a roadmap is certainly going to help you shine when you have a, a mortgage application in with the banks. So, so you mentioned a few times, I want to say, uh, you mentioned a few times getting the best rate. There's a lot of investors out there that know you should get the best rate. And obviously they want to have the best rate. I want to, I, I want you to explain to the audience, maybe if you can, why it's important to get a good rate, how that rate impacts your debt service and your bottom line overall. Like, why is it important to get that quarter point? It's only a quarter point, Dahlia. Like, why am I going to fight for this quarter point? Yes. So there are two key things there. So the rate obviously is important. Uh, for you as an investor, because it impacts your ROI, the mortgage pay down, it impacts um, the, your cash flow, right? And it also impacts um, what payment the lenders are going to take into consideration when your next deal comes in and the following deal comes in. So it does impact the numbers overall. However, the rate alone, focusing on the rate alone without making sure that it's with the right lender. So the first filter is, is the deal with the right lender given where you're headed as an investor? Because if I place the deal with the wrong lender because they're giving a cheapest rate and I've used the seat with them at the wrong time, then I am limiting your future ability to borrow. So first filter is what are the right lenders? And that's something you know to be guided, like to get that guidance from, the broker who specializes in income property financing. And then from there, what better rates can we get for the reasons that I mentioned? But if you just focus on the rate only and you go to the lender who's offering the lowest rate, there is actually a downfall because, as I mentioned, you want to make sure that it's the right lender for your portfolio. I'll give you an example. There is a client who came to us and said, they said, you know what? I dealt with my bank. I, I wanted to buy this property and I am, I was going to renovate it. And I, my, my, I had a relationship with my bank. They were offering a fantastic rate. I took it and I closed on the deal. I renovated the property. I went back three months after, like after I finished my renovation, it took three months. I went back to refinance it. And they said, sorry, our policy is not to 
let you refinance until a year has passed. So that's a key point. She went only by the rate, but that lender was the wrong lender given the strategy she was deploying. And that's what I mean. It's important to start with who's the right lender and then can we get a better rate versus here's the lowest rate. Let me go with that lender. You also mentioned working with a mortgage broker who does income property financing, who's familiar with that. And that's really key because even a broker, I've seen this happen before too, where they go with a broker and the broker's like, yeah, yeah, I can get you. And again, based on the rate, of course, the broker gave them a rate, which was a fixed rate. And this was for a flip property. They went to refi after, no, sorry, not refi, um, sell the property after six months and then found out that they had an interest differential to pay and to pay, I think it was like $38,000 in interest differential that they would have had to pay to break the mortgage. So they ended up keeping it um, a little bit longer to bring that down, but it was a nightmare. And again, that's just by picking the wrong broker. So it's not just the financial institution, but it's also the broker who understands your needs, understands investment financing, which is why I love sharing you with my audience and always promoting you because you are that person. Um, but there's many, many cases where um, kind of retail mortgage brokers, again, they're just designed, they're conditioned to look for the cheapest rate for the retail buyer, which is ultimately if you're just buying your principal residence, um, would you say that to be true? Yeah. For the principal residence, I would shop the lowest rate because I am paying for that mortgage myself and it's impacting my monthly budget every month. As an investor who's looking to grow, I got to balance the rate choice with the lender that is right for what I am doing for that property and what I am doing as an investor. And I, that is actually my first filter before layering on the rate filter. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what do you see happening in the future with investment properties? Is it still going to be, I know we don't have a crystal ball, but do you still think it's a good time to buy? Should we wait to buy? What are your thoughts? Here's what I'm seeing. I The beauty of being a mortgage broker dealing with an, who deals with investors, Danielle, is I sit here at this desk and I see thousands of, like I see so many, many deals from across the country and in province and out of province. And I'm seeing a better ability to negotiate deals. I am seeing uh, financing conditions and conditions back into the purchase and sales agreement. Uh, properties are cheaper. So, for me, as an investor personally, and this is why I'm not stopping, I am keeping an eye on opportunities, despite the fact that the rates are higher. And we're talking residential first, right? We're going to talk multifamily and, and, you know, the next level of investing. But on the residential side, which is one to four units or five units, yes, the rates are higher, but the prices are lower. So there are deals that are still making sense. Okay. And uh, I have better power to negotiate. And I still need to do my homework, buy in the right area, make sure I understand my tenant profile. Um, I'm shying away from any flips, shying away from anything that is, you know, my exit is conditional on the market picking up. I think that is a risky investment approach right now. It's But if it's a long-term hold, this is still a great market to, to, to step into compared to six months ago. Multifamily is multifamily. I mean, the economies of scale offset the rate increases in many cases. And if you have a plan for the property, 
to increase the net operating income, these assets are valued very differently than what did my neighbor sell for or what did the property on the street sell for? So I, I, I see a big opportunity there to continue to, to, to put money into multifamily. And this is why personally, uh, the deal I'm working on right now is a multifamily, 12 units, right? So um, again, shying away, like staying away from flips, assignments, things that time the market. Right. And, you know, I like what you said there, because there is a difference how the banks underwrite a smaller unit over the larger units, because it's based on the net operating income when you're in the multifamily space. And as long as the income is there, it should retain its value based on the market cap rate. So it doesn't really fluctuate as much as the smaller properties do based on comparison. So going into a recession and people are in a position where they have to sell their property and they sell it for really low and then that sets the bar and everybody else has to sell at that new bar um, that can really impact your house on the street, right? So yeah, multifamily is definitely has a little bit more um, it can retain its value a little bit more in a recession than, uh, than a single family or a small multi. So I appreciate that. Well, we mentioned multifamily. So let's say now I've got, you know, eight, nine, 10 properties and I want to go into that multifamily space. So now what are the challenges that I might have in getting financing, uh, with the banks? What do the banks look for? Okay. So the financing roadmap helps you get from, you know, your third properties to, I would say, 15, 20th, 20, 20, 20 something property with institutional lenders. This is the A lenders, the banks, the B lenders uh, who still do, uh, who, who are cheaper than private, but more expensive than the banks. So 20 something properties to stretch the portfolio at the best cost of money. And then when the portfolio is this large, now it, the question is, if you want to grow in the residential space or if you want to get into multifamily, what type of financing are we looking at? And it's really at that point, it starts to be all commercial financing. Commercial financing is a different ballgame altogether. Like you said earlier, Danielle, um, the income, the net operating income of the building or the net operating income of the portfolio determines how much mortgage that will qualify for. And uh, that's really it. It's now we're talking about something called the debt coverage ratio, the, the portfolio or the building's ability to cover the debt. So you've got investors who are now often full-time investors or actually most of the time they're full-time investors because now they've built a big portfolio, they've quit their jobs, they're now building this as a business and they're still qualifying for financing because they're buying uh, they're buying using commercial money or uh, taking out equity from their current portfolio using their commercial money. So it it now becomes uh, it's it's now beyond what's your income like and what's your credit like. It's now more about the portfolio's ability to serve as the debt. What's your net worth like? How much of an experience do you now have in? owning a building or renovating a building, who's on your team to help you do it. It's more of a sophisticated or the questions the lenders are asking you are different from the questions they used to ask you when you're financing a smaller property because it was all reliant on your individual ability to pay that loan. Now it's reliant on the assets ability to, to pay the loan. So it actually opens up a lot more doors. And in that 
space, you're now able to do a lot, many more cooler things. For example, bring money from others to the deal. Now you've got, you know, maybe 10 investors who want to invest with you and they want to be passive. And now you have a corporation and they are shareholders. And yet now it's, it's, it's sexy. It's, it's a business, right? So you can do that and you can use other sources of money. And it's, it just opens up doors to take your real estate to the next level. So what I'm hearing you say is that when we're buying the smaller, the smaller properties, the single family duplexes, tries those kind of buildings, the banks now, the A lenders, B lenders that you're talking about, they're looking at me and underwriting me more than they are the property because they're looking at the total debt service that my income that I have could support the property that I'm buying. But when you go into the larger units, like a 12 or 24 unit building, now they're looking at the NOI, what we call the NOI, the net operating income. And now they're really more or less underwriting the property and the property's ability to pay. And that's the debt service coverage ratio. Is that right? Yes. That's awesome. Yes. Remember, the seven, remember the seven or eight variables I spoke about at the beginning of this call when I said the lenders and the residential space, look at your income, your credit, your down payment. That is personal. Where, like you said here, it's more about the asset. It's more about the asset. So yeah, if you can take the heat off of me, I'm down for that. So let's just do that. Um, just to be clear, you do both uh, residential financing and commercial financing. Yes, residential, multifamily, mixed use, and developments. And you also do private lending as well, right? You do have a Rolodex of private lenders? Yes. So think about us as the money hub for real estate investors across their growth journey. So we do uh, bank money, uh, alternative or B money, private money. We understand joint ventures and how to structure them. We understand vendor takebacks and we, we help you figure out how you put your money sources together. Love it. Absolutely love it. So listen, Dahlia, I like to ask a couple of questions at the end of the podcast. Um, just to see, because I'm just curious. So what would you tell your 20-year-old self if you could go back and tell yourself something? On real estate investing or in general? In general. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self to um, do what makes you happy, not what makes other people happy. Do, mm. Don't be afraid to experiment and test what scares you early on um, in life before your commitments add up, you know, like, I'm not saying you can't at any point in time. I mean, I quit my job when I had two kids and, and got into uh, entrepreneurship. But if I had tried these things when I was 20, I think I would have been 100 times more successful because I would have gained 10 years or 15 years, right? Um, so do what makes you happy, not what makes other people happy. And don't be afraid to experiment. And you know what? Nothing is cemented in, 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 in stone. You go into something, it doesn't work. Go into something else. There is, so I, I, these, these would be the two things. I love it. And you know what? It's so true. Like, this is what I tell people now when I'm coaching people in, in real estate and they're scared about trying something, I go try it. 
it's not set in stone. If you don't like it, you'll learn something from it and then just pivot into a new strategy. So you, you won't know until you try it. Right. But it's not like the end all be all that you're going to go down this path and there's nothing, you know, that's it forever. It's not how it works. So yeah, no, I love that. Um, and the, the last question that I'm going to ask you is this, what would you tell a new real estate investor who wants to get into real estate? What is the, the piece of advice you would tell them? Um, it, it will feel scary. It will feel overwhelming. It is normal. Um, please don't spend time with analysis paralysis. I spent five years doing analysis paralysis before buying my first investment property. I was so scared and so paranoid. Don't do that. I regret not investing sooner. I understand you want to avoid the mistakes. The best way to do that is to, to honestly invest in a coach who is experienced, who can guide you and remove the noise and get you focused on what matters most. That's actually an advice for my 20-year-old self as well. That's it. Make the first move. Make it. Make it. <laughs> That's great advice. That's great advice. I love it. I love it. Just do it. Just do it. Okay. Well, Dahlia, thank you so much for dropping bombs and opening up the curtains a little bit when it comes to private or not private financing, but conventional financing and just being intentional. I don't think people think about being intentional with setting up their finances for financing. Everybody always focuses on setting up their finances for retirement, but they don't even, they just kind of skip over the first part that you got to set yourself up to get financing so that you can you know, build for your retirement. So I absolutely love that. So if you're interested in reaching out to Dahlia, if you're listening, you want to reach out to Dahlia about the financing roadmap. Dahlia, where is the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah. So basically email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Or if you go to our website, you can, you can book your complimentary planning session and I have an incredible team of uh, advisors who I've trained my way. They finance portfolios using the financing roadmap, and they would be happy to guide you and talk about your plans and how we can support you. So we will have the website and the email, all of that in the show notes so you can capture her information there. We also have Dahlia's bio page up on uh, the Let's Get Real Estate podcast website. So all of that will be in the show notes. And of course, Dahlia, I absolutely enjoy every minute with you every time I see you. And so again, today is no different. Thank you so much for taking the time because I know you're super busy, but you took the time to come on the show and I do appreciate you sharing with my audience. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me here, Danielle. And uh, I second what you said. I do enjoy speaking with you every time as well. And I love your word of being intentional. That's, mm -hmm. that's a good word for 2023. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, I'm going to wrap up the show. This is Danielle Chason wrapping up the Let's Get Real Estate podcast. Until next time. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast and congratulations on improving your education real estate. Please leave a review only if you felt we provided value as it would really help us if you would leave a five-star review so that we can help reach a broader audience. And don't forget to comment what you enjoyed and tell us what you're looking to learn more about. As always, thanks for your support and we'll see you on the next episode.